When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Final hour of Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across this OutKick network. Great show so far. We've had a lot of fun. And the final hour is going to be great as well. Jim Nagy, executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, coming up in 20 minutes to talk about some of the best talent across college football and how that talent can translate to the next level. And uh, we've got a lot of football talk this hour and, and every hour on the show during the fall because it's football season. Also, Major League Baseball playoffs going on right now. Plenty of reasons to celebrate. Plenty of reasons to talk a lot of sports. Jonathan Hutton will be back on the show tomorrow. He has been emceeing a charity event with Logan Ryan for the Logan Ryan Animal Rescue Foundation down in Tampa. Davey Hudson alongside this segment as well. Lots of talk about college football coaches on the hot seat. You hear this all the time. And while I don't think the coach I'm about to talk about is on the hot seat right now, I think it's going to be a very important month for this guy. I'm talking about Brian Kelly at LSU. Sometimes you are a victim of expectation. And there's no sport where that is more evident than in college football. And when you have a good close to your season in year one and you knock off Alabama at home, great thing, great accomplishment for any coach at LSU to beat Nick Saban. Brian Kelly did that in year one at LSU. You go into the offseason with more expectation. When you're ranked sixth in the AP poll to open the season, you could be a victim of expectation. When you get rolled in the second half by Florida State and lose big, well, that's a problem to start the season. But it's not the end of the world because the SEC is still just around the corner. But when you lose to Ole Miss a week after Ole Miss lost to Alabama the way they did and you were preseason sixth in the country, that can lead to some trying times especially for the head coach at LSU, a program whose fan base rightfully has very, very high expectations for their head coach. And when LSU paid top dollar for Brian Kelly, based off of what he accomplished at Notre Dame, they were expecting immediate results. They weren't expecting two losses in the first month of the season in year two. Brian Kelly and LSU coming up. This weekend is a big one. At Missouri. Missouri now is ranked 21st nationally. Then they get Auburn at home. Then they get Army at home. Then they open November going to Alabama. And oh, by the way, November 11th, they host another second-year SEC head coach that could be in trouble at that point, Billy Napier. How big could that game be for Brian Kelly and Billy Napier? What would a loss mean for Brian Kelly at home November 11th to Billy Napier, who's under a bit of fire at Florida. Right now, I think he's fine. First off, it's just year two. But second, they did beat Tennessee at home in a game where they were an underdog, and they beat them convincingly. But tell that to Florida fans. Florida is another program, just like LSU, that has pretty recently seen their team win national championships. Not one, plural, national championships. That's what they expect out of that program. They don't expect you to go to Lexington, Kentucky, 
and get whipped by a basketball school. Sorry, not sorry to Mark Stoops. You're a basketball school. But they handled Florida in that game. First time since 48 through 51 that Kentucky has beaten Florida in three straight when they won four straight at that point. So it's not dire right now for LSU and Brian Kelly or any of that. I'm not going to be an extremist when it comes to this. But it could be a very tough season. Two losses already is below expectation for LSU. And the schedule's not really going to let up. If they lose at Missouri, which could very well happen this weekend, that's three losses, two in the SEC already. And we're in the first weekend of October. Then you're going to play Auburn at home in Hugh Freeze's first year with the Tigers. Things could get tricky fast for Brian Kelly and LSU, much like they've kind of gotten tricky for Billy Napier after an underwhelming year one with a quarterback who was a top five pick who looks pretty good in the NFL in year one. And Billy Napier in Florida did not do much with him. Davey Hudson with us right now. Davey, what do you think about the start of this season for LSU so far and and Brian Kelly? It's still very early, but that late season success, November success for LSU, set them up almost for a failure this year. And so far, they're not getting it done. Still very early, but whenever I look at this team, especially at the quarterback position, Jaden Daniels, this was supposed to be his year, the season that he takes this team to the next level. Right now, you're sitting at three and two. It's not like the schedule's getting any easier. Now, it, I think it does help them that they're playing Missouri early in the morning. Not like that crowd would be a raucous environment, but typically you see it be easier for teams when they go on the road to play earlier. And so, if but if they lose that, they're at 500, six games through. It's going to get hostile down in uh, Baton Rouge. Those fans, uh, LSU, they don't settle for mediocrity. And Brian Kelly paid him a ton of money to come in. And as of late, it's a what have you done for me lately type deal. He's not shown much on the field. And next season, again, it's LSU. They're always going to have talent. But right now, it's showing that Brian Kelly's not able to do the most with the talent that he has. He's also a straight mercenary. But there's no love for Brian Kelly in Baton Rouge. Oh, Beauregard Kelly. Yeah, when he was doing the whole fake, Southern, whatever Cajun accent that was. I don't think LSU fans were hearing that saying, you know, this is one of our guys. He's just like us. We can go have a a plate of gumbo together after a game. No LSU fans are thinking that. They're thinking, hey, win a national title. You came down here saying you couldn't win a national title at Notre Dame with their resources, but you came here because this is a program ready-made to win a national title. Ed Orgeron won a national title at LSU. He was one of them. I mean, he was uh, – talk about Swamp King. Yep. That's Ed Orgeron summed up. That's him persona. He is an, a, a Louisiana Cajun guy, and he was able to win a national title. So my point is there's no personal attachment with LSU fans and Brian Kelly. It's very much a show-me type relationship. Well, and we saw last year the media down there get really – up in his face to an extent in the questions they were asking, how they were going about those interviews. And then once they ultimately made the SEC championship, you had everybody start to be all buddy-buddy. But again, we're going to see that change if things continue to go the way they are. And, I mean, they've got several key games coming up. They should be able to beat Auburn, should be able to beat Army. And just based off talent, they should beat Missouri this coming they weekend. They should beat Missouri, absolutely. So, uh, there, there's no reason they'll follow up the the final game of the month against Alabama. But they should be 3-1 and one at worst if you're just looking at talent differential. So, yeah, 
Definitely got to go out there and prove it for Brian Kelly right now. But, I mean, this was supposed to be the year, and I know with the way the transfer portal works, you can get a quarterback in pretty easily. But if Jaden Daniels is gone, they don't have much waiting in the wings at the moment. No, and, and look, I say that to kind of compare to his former school. I think Notre Dame, there is a personal attachment to Marcus Freeman. I think Irish fans like and respect the guy, and they kind of feel a personal attachment like he's one of our own, even though he didn't play there. He played at Ohio State. Not that you know they'll turn on him. They will if it goes south in a, in a hurry, which I don't see it happening. But I, I don't get that sense at LSU. I think it's very much you are here and you're paid a lot of money to win. We don't really like you, but we f- respect you as a coach and a CEO and how you've done it in your previous job. So do that here. And if you do it to that level, you're probably going to win a national championship. I think that's the way LSU fans view him. And he's got to win, and it starts this week, and it's going to be a big month for him moving forward. And I'm not comparing him to Billy Napier. Billy Napier's been worse at Florida than Brian Kelly to start, and Billy Napier gets a lot of grace because of that win over Tennessee. But I'm not seeing Florida win a ton of games in the SEC this year yeah. based on what I saw on Saturday. So that's one that's going to be interesting come November. And, again, LSU hosts Florida uh, mid-November, so that's one to watch. I, I don't understand – Davey, what we're seeing with this defense uh, of Zach Wilson from players. And, and maybe it's just different eras, and I, I don't understand how you know you just stick up for rivals because they're a player and you're a player. And any type of criticism, even if it's about someone's game, suddenly is just beyond the pale of what's acceptable in sport. I don't get it. But Micah Parsons, after Rodney Harrison questioned Chris Jones – about their preparation for Zach Wilson and the Jets, Rodney Harrison dared to say what everyone had seen with two eyes the entire time, that Zach Wilson was playing like garbage. And the film, which every player will tell you, and coach, which the film does not lie, would tell you that he did not look good in the previous games. He asked him about that, and then he followed up saying, oh, come on, you don't think he's special. You saw the tape and thought, we're going to handle this guy, and you didn't. He was special tonight, but he's not a special player. I don't think any of that's out of line by Rodney Harrison. But apparently, everyone in the National Football League does think that it was out of line, including Micah Parsons, who had this to say on his podcast. You know, I always keep my faith in God, and I'm going to just keep this real with you. I truly believe that we are not one to judge. We cannot just keep saying someone's garbage, saying who's special, who's not special. Now, if you're a really good football player, yes, Chris Jones is a really good football player. Is he a better player than Zach Wilson? Yes, but Chris has built himself upon that. We're not giving that same courtesy of Zach Wilson. Let him grow. He's continuing to get better each week and week out. And that's just, to me, that's a fraudulent move. Even me, I can't, I'm not the one to decide who's special, who's not special. Zach Wilson is special in his own way, bro. You can't sit here and say, oh, you look at the tape and he's garbage. Like, come on, Rodney. Like, you didn't even do that. You can say he's not a Mahomes tier. Yeah, you can say that. But you can't say that he's not a good quarterback. He's a starting quarterback in the NFL. If Rodney, you can show me you can do it, then you do it. If you were so good, like, bro, like, he's a top five pick. He got drafted that high for a reason. Let his traits and everything he do grow, bro. Zach, bro, if you out there, I hope you win. I really do. I hope you win. I hope you grow into the player that no one thinks that you can grow into, bro. There's a lot of people that's hating on you, brother. Uh, Hall of Famers, ex-pro players, which makes no sense. I get we all love the game of football, but at the end of the day, we got to remember Zach is a human being, bro. Zach is a human. 
We don't use our platform to degrade other players. This is not what we do. We use our platform to uplift people. We use our platform to talk good about people. Say, Zach, build confidence. You know, one, every person in this world just needs someone to believe in them, okay? And I'm big on that. Look, some of the stuff he says, yeah, everyone needs someone to believe in them. That's great. You're also on a platform, and you've gone on podcasts where you said that Jalen Hurts was getting too much credit and more credit should go to his coaches, and there was backlash for that. And in that impassioned speech you're going through there, Micah, you also sit and say, well, Rodney Harrison, can you do better? You can't do any better than Zach Wilson. Of course the guy's got talent. He's playing quarterback in the National Football League. And if Chris Jones or anyone wants to say, look, he had struggled in the previous two games, but we see the talent. There is physical talent there that you cannot deny. That's fine. And maybe if you want to say, look, he has special talent, and we had to prepare for that. I'm good with that. Did Rodney Harrison go a little bit too far with the follow-up? Maybe. But let's not take criticism of someone's play and turn it into us criticizing them as a human being. He's not saying Zach Wilson is garbage. This is not a literal statement. He's not saying he doesn't have worth as a human, that he's a piece of garbage. He's saying if you turn on the film and watch it, a defensive player, like, oh, by the way, Rodney Harrison played defensive back in the league for years, would probably turn on that film and say, this guy's garbage, let's get after him. As a player, as a quarterback, because he had played like garbage. This is not some shocking news alert for people that have watched the NFL and watched Zach Wilson this year. Full props to Zach Wilson for improving, something I thought he would throughout the offseason. And I gave him credit and said, hey, maybe he's improved a lot and this team's going to be fine without Aaron Rodgers. That has not been the case. He had a special night. He had a good night. You know how that night ended? With him taking his eyes off a snap and putting the ball on the turf and the Chiefs getting it and the game ending. Good NFL quarterbacks don't do that. Should we give him grace on a night where he had a good game? Sure. And I'm sure his teammates are doing that because he went and apologized to his teammates. But let's stop being so soft as to say we can't criticize someone's performance when they're playing football at the highest level in the NFL. This is a soft stance from Micah Parsons. And to me, it's indicative of a soft generation of players. I bet in the 80s and 90s, no one was going to bat for Zach Wilson if someone said that he looked like garbage on film as a quarterback. Davey, am I too old man here, or is, is this... I- This is irritating to me, the whole backlash to this. I don't think you're going too old man on this one. The thing that I find interesting is just all these former players coming to Zach Wilson's defense. Or not former players, but just players in the league currently coming to his defense. Because while you've not heard anything over the offseason as it relates to him being a problem within the organization, last year that was the conversation. He's having issues that people in the locker room aren't in favor of him. It's like, will he even play another snap for the New York Jets based off some comments that he made in regards to... Well, he wouldn't apologize. Remember, it was something about, do you take responsibility or what do you say to the defense after their performance and your performance? He kind of shrugged and kind of gave, I don't don't say anything. I'm, I'm not sorry for anything. And then had to walk that back and go apologize. That was a garbage response. I hate if someone, if you hate that word, that was a garbage response. Doesn't mean he's a garbage or a piece of garbage. It's a garbage response, much like his play had been garbage up until Sunday night. And I mean, you know, Joe Namath been going at Zach Wilson, kind of cooled his, his take on that over this past week compared to where he was two weeks ago. But I don't know if the big thing is 
these players are just seeing that headline taking out of context, Chad, like you're referring to, and they're just thinking Rodney Harrison was calling Zach Wilson garbage and just putting that onto him as a person versus him as a player. But Zach Wilson's not been good. No, no one sitting here saying he has been. He had one good game, but he over the course of his NFL career, he has proven not to be a good quarterback. And I think garbage is okay to use to describe his tenure in the NFL as a quarterback, especially when you're the number two overall pick and you're supposed to be the guy to come in here and save that franchise now New York's gotten it wrong every time since going all the way back but Chad I mean I I don't understand where all this defense is coming to so I think it does come to people nowadays are all buddy buddy and a big part you can look to is the AAU circuit all these players seem to know everybody and you just don't have these hated rivalries anymore and I do think that takes away from the game yeah we need a little more unfamiliarity in sports I think as a whole where guys aren't as as buddy buddy um uh, someone on the YouTube chat is claiming that he's saying that, you know, he he's he's garbage, he's trash. As a quarterback, his performance, if you're taking it literally as Rodney Harrison is saying he's a piece of trash, then come on, I cannot help you. That's not what he's saying. Now, did Rodney Harrison get a little too familiar with Chris Jones? Player to player, the way they're talking about you in the locker room? Maybe. But let's stop being so overly offended about everything. Jim Nagy, Executive Director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, coming up next. Fun show so far today, talking a lot of football. I'm Chad Withrow, Jonathan Hutton. He'll be back with us tomorrow. We love this weekly segment with Jim Nagy. He is the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, and he's got scouts going all over the country watching some of the best teams in America, scouting some of the best players in America that may eventually play in that Reese's Senior Bowl. And Jim is on with us right now, fresh off his trip to Auburn to take in a great atmosphere and what turned out to be a great football game between Auburn and the number one team in America, the Georgia Bulldogs. Jim, how are you? I'm good, Chad. You're flying solo today, huh? I am. I, I've been abandoned. I feel abandoned over here, but uh, it's been fun. We've been getting through, and the crew here in Nashville has done a terrific job the last few days uh, without Hutton. And Hutton comes back tomorrow, which will be nice for everyone. How, how, was, uh, how was the atmosphere at Auburn? And when you watch that Georgia team, I think I read something today that was comparing TCU of last year, Jim, to Georgia this year saying that maybe Georgia is last year's TCU and that they're just the team that has the mental makeup to win a bunch of close games and go on a run. But then the author of the piece said, well, I did some research, and I think TCU a year ago had 12 four-star players, no five-star players. Georgia has 15 five-star players and 42 four-star players on this roster. So a little bit different in terms of top-level talent. Yeah, first of all, the, the environment at Jordan Air Stadium was was awesome. Uh, that's a great place to see a college football game. That crowd was ramped up. Um, and really, the Auburn, the Auburn football team showed up. Um, they gave them a great game. They stuck with them right there to the end. A couple of plays here and there. Uh, really, the inability to cover Brock Bowers was, uh, was, what, was what did it. But, yeah, you can't compare. You can't equate Georgia's roster and TCU's roster. I mean, there's to me, there's no real similarity other than, yeah, they're squeezing out some games this year. They're figuring out a way to win. Um, but, no, they've got so many five-stars on that roster. But but it, it, I'll say this. It's not 
where Georgia's been the past couple of years. I mean, we, we've seen a Georgia team that's just going in and blowing the doors off people. Um, and that's not happening this year. Uh, you can't lose that much high level NFL talent over a two or three year span and just, and just expect it to, to keep going. You know, it, it happened in Tuscaloosa uh, for no other reason, in my opinion, that they've had four straight, uh, you know, first round NFL starting quarterbacks go through that pipeline. So that allowed them to maintain, even when some of the other positions were taking a dip, the quarterback position always kept them up there. Um, so yeah, this is, this is just a different looking Georgia team. They're not going to roll through the season the way they do, but give them credit. They're finding out where they're figuring out ways to win games. Well, and you know, the Brock Bowers ends up making a huge play in this game. And that's the guy you want to go to if you're Georgia, when the game's on the line, but that drop off from Stetson Bennett as the veteran guy who had that savvy for that offense to Carson Beck and Carson Beck is a talented guy. It's pretty yeah. clear, but what do you see in terms of the differences between those guys and, and what maybe Carson Beck doesn't have that Stetson Bennett had playing so many years in that offense? Well, certainly the experience factor and everything that comes along with that, um, you know, just having command of the whole system, um, going on the road, big environments. I mean, those are just things you can't replace. I mean, all those big stages that, that Stets played on. Um, and then probably the mobility aspect. I think that was the big thing with Stetson Bennett that a lot of people underrated was how athletic he was. I mean, the guy was a really good athlete. He could hurt you with his legs. Um, I don't think Carson Beck's going to do that. I think Carson's more of a pure pocket passer. And he made some big-time throws the other day, and Bowers made some big-time plays on the ball. Uh, we saw some of the one-handed stuff, some of the stuff in traffic that he did. In plays he made after the catch. Um, I think where Georgia's got a chance to get better, um, and we saw this past week, Lad McConkey came back. Um, and Lad McConkey going into this year was, was our number two rated receiver on our board for this year's Senior Bowl. So we're talking about a day two wide receiver that they're getting back that can win at all three levels. Um, and he's a really good player. And he's missed a lot of time. He's missed the, the you know every game up until – this past week with a back injury, kind of a lingering thing that uh, they didn't foresee happening. They thought they were going to get him back pretty quickly, and uh, it just didn't happen. You know, they just kept being some complications. So that's where I think this Georgia offense can grow. And then the more Carson Beck plays, the better he's going to be. Um, but you can't lose a guy with the experience of Stetson Bennett um, and, and expect this offense to pick back up. And, and, and look at some of the other losses on offense. I mean, you lost, you know, two, you know, a, a first round right tackle. You lost a couple of, you know, you lost both your tackles. You lose Kenny McIntosh at running back. So um, Georgia lost a lot of pieces. You know, we haven't, even, we haven't talked about the defensive side of the ball. So the fact that they're figuring out to win games with a group that lacks some experience, um, give Kirby and the staff a lot of credit. Jim Nagy is the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl at Jim Nagy underscore SB is where you can follow him. I find it to be a red flag when a head coach – who went through the ranks on one side of the ball becomes a head coach and that side of the ball for their team starts to slack. That's not the case with Marcus Freeman, who was a defensive guy and now in charge of Notre Dame. That defense is good. And they showed that again on Saturday night at Duke. What do you make of this Notre Dame defense, Jim? Yeah, talented. Um, the more we watch them, the more there's NFL guys all over that defense. We highlighted one of them this week, uh, Howard Cross the third, one of their defensive tackles. His dad, Howard Cross, you know, the second, I guess, Howard Cross Sr., um, played in the NFL for a long time, was a tight end with the New York Giants, really good player. Uh, so he has bloodlines. But you look at that defense. I mean, they've got uh, 
Maris Lufau at, 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 at uh, linebacker, Bertrand, J.D. Bertrand at linebacker, Cam Hart at, at, at corner. Um, it's, there's, there's some guys, and that's back-to-back weeks against Ohio State and Duke. Both those games looked very similar, uh, really hard-fought games. Yeah, they gave up a couple drives late to Riley Leonard. Riley really was gutsy down the stretch for Duke. Uh, but then they stepped up late in the game. Um, Howard crossed the third, got, got some heat on the quarterback, got some heat on Riley late, uh, and they came away with the win. But uh, that's a good that's a good Notre Dame defense. You know, and Sam Hartman, give him credit too, another gutsy performance opposite Riley Leonard. Uh, Sam Hartman made plays fourth and 16. When he needed to make a play, he made a play with his legs. So uh, really just a really good football game. That's back-to-back weeks that Notre Dame has been in a, a really good football game, really entertaining game. You know, sitting at home watching that on TV, got back from that Auburn-Georgia game and watched the uh, second half. Um, but Notre Dame's good, man. I mean, they're they're a top-10 team with that defense. So, And we'll see how far Sam Hartman and, uh, and the running back can take them on offense. Let's go up to the Pacific Northwest. So much attention on Colorado and Deion Sanders in every game they're playing. And a lot of eyeballs on, I think it was 7.4 million were on USC and Colorado over the weekend. But I feel like all this attention has kind of taken our eye a bit off of a couple teams up in the Pacific Northwest, one of them being Oregon and the way they're playing so far this season. Jim, what do you see from that team and specifically some of the players you guys are tracking? Yeah, I mean, the eyeballs were on Oregon for one week, and that's when they played Coach Prime's team, right? And And then we're right back off, so... Uh, but they'll have some big games later in the year. I mean, they're, they're going to have, you know, obviously the Apple Cup against Washington State, and they'll they'll get UW here in a couple weeks up in Seattle, so that'll be a big one. Uh, but, no, they're just rolling along. You know, Bo Nix is being Bo Nix. He's making it look easy. They've got some, you know, Franklin at wide receiver. They've got some some good offensive skill people. Uh, they, and they've had a couple portal ads on the offensive line. They've done a really nice job but. Flip, flipping it to the defense, um, they've got some guys that are, are playing really well. Brandon Dorless, the defensive tackle, is the guy that we invited to the game last year, um, is playing at a high level. Jordan Birch, a transfer from South Carolina, got the Gamecocks helmet uh, behind me here. Jordan Birch was a nice pickup. He's starting to play well. Um, so, no, they're in Kyrie Jackson's another transfer from Alabama playing cornerback, who was our, one of our quote unquote senior bowl stock up players of the week last week. So, um, I think Dan Lanning has done a really nice job in the portal. Um, I, obviously, Dion's done a great job at Colorado, and that's got a lot of gotten a lot of hype, um, and for good reason. But I think what Lanning's done the last couple of years, they've done a really nice job. Um, and a lot of those guys are are stepping into big roles and, and playing well. So they got. You look at these teams around college football. Why the, these top ten teams? The Notre Dame's, the Oregon's. Um, the one thing they have in common, they've got they've got a lot of underrated NFL talent on both sides of the ball. Well, I see a Washington Huskies helmet behind you also, Jim, and that, that's a team I love watching them play. And uh, Oregon's got some players. I, I don't know how much time you spent watching Washington or if you've had a chance to scout them yet. You mentioned that big game coming up in Seattle, but what do you think when you watch Washington play? Like you said, you nailed it. Fun to watch. Um, if, if people on the East Coast haven't watched this team, take a nap. I said that last week. Take a nap and, and – uh, Check out this team. Now they they got, I'll say this, they were on the road this past week. We had a scout uh, in Tucson for that game um, against Arizona. And uh, Jed Fish's team fought those guys. I mean, it was a really good game. Uh, Michael Penix, yeah, everyone knows about Michael Penix. He's the Heisman, one of the Heisman favorites right now, and he should be. Uh, but, man, he's throwing to three really good wide receivers, Roma Dunzi, 
Jalen McMillan, uh, and then the underclassman Polk. I mean, those are that's arguably the best three receiver set in college football right now. Uh, super explosive. And then they have guys on the on the defensive side as well. Braylon Trice, their pass rusher, had a really big game the other night against uh, a left tackle prospect for Arizona, uh, Jordan Morgan, who's going to be you know probably a, a day two pick. So we're talking about an NFL starting caliber left tackle. Um, really good battle with Braylon Trice. So. Uh, yeah, that's a UW's a fun football team. Uh, really fun football team. There's going to be some there's some matchups out west um, that we're going to get these next couple of months that are going to be a lot of fun to watch. So my daughter was at a birthday party on Saturday at like a, a bowling alley fun center type place. Luckily, they had TVs on, so I was watching <laughs> a little bit of of Texas Kansas when I'm at this this birthday party, and I noticed the score was relatively close. It felt like Texas is always up you know, two to three scores, but it was pretty low scoring. Then I saw the offensive stats from the game for Texas where they're breaking records in this game. And I think Kansas was something like 0 for 8 on third down at one point. Um, The score was a little bit deceiving in this game, I feel like. Jim, what did you see from this Texas team in a win over a good Kansas squad? Yeah, it's a good Kansas squad. And they were, I think, 24th last week. Um, So it was a matchup of two top 25 teams. Good matchup for Texas, unfortunately. Uh, Jalen Daniels, the quarterback for Kansas couldn't go. Um, so that, that, that really hurt Kansas, but this is a good Texas team, man. We've talked about them on the show the last few weeks coming out of that Alabama game. I mean, they're, they're legit. Um, and going into this red river game this week against Oklahoma, that's a big time matchup, um, on both sides of the ball. We, we had a scout at the Oklahoma game the other day. Um, Dylan Gabriel is playing really good football right now for Oklahoma, uh, playing at a really efficient high level. Uh, so that's one that's one I'm really looking forward to. I've never been to that Red River game. It's that and the Army Navy game I've never been to are kind of bucket list games for me now at this point in my scouting career. I think I've been to about every other big rivalry game, but uh, sometime I got to get over there to uh, to uh, Dallas and check that one out. But uh, that should be a fun one. Quinn yours against Dylan Gabriel. So a fun matchup. I've been to an Army-Navy game, a couple of them. It's awesome. I highly recommend. I've never been to the Red River shootout, and I'd love to see that one. So uh, I'm, I'm adding that to my list also. I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here, but you sure. normally have a guy or two that maybe is a little bit off the radar or someone you want to focus in on that you and your team are scouting and looking at each week. Do you have a name or two to keep an eye on that you guys have been monitoring throughout the season? Well, I've certainly got a recognizable name, and that's Brendan Rice. If you focus on the last name Rice, yes, that's Jerry Rice's son, uh, wide receiver at USC, um, doing his thing there with Caleb Williams. And if if you've watched the Heisman Trophy winner and what he's done the past couple of years, a big part of his game is getting out of the pocket and just running around and making stuff happen. Um, and when he does that, uh, you see kind of the the natural football player in Brendan Rice. And I, I was actually on the field at that Auburn game a couple of days ago um, with some NFL GMs talking to a couple of the guys. And they asked me the same question you just asked, like, who's popping up, you know, who, who, who's got, got your attention. And I talked about Brendan Rice and I said, you know, this is going to sound like a huge cop out that uh, you're saying Jerry Rice's kid is a natural, but uh, you, you can see that in his play. Like sometimes when quarterbacks start running around, receivers don't really know what to do with themselves. Um, and Brendan Rice has seven touchdowns already through, I think five games, he's already matched his total from last year. And those are on those scramble plays. He, he knows how to free himself. So, um, and then to, you know, one thing he does have that a lot of people said his dad didn't have, and I don't believe that because 
growing up as a kid watching Jerry Rice, I never saw him get caught on a football field. So you can't convince me Jerry Rice was slow. Um, although they said that he ran a slow 40 time coming out of Mississippi Valley State. Uh, but Jerry Rice's son, Brennan, looked, really looks like he can run. Um, he makes plays down the field. He's got a gear when he needs to have a gear. Um, so if you're watching USC and you see the last name Rice, yes, um, that is Jerry Rice's son. And he's, he's uh, having a great year so far. Like I said, seven touchdowns already, I think on 17 catches. So that's a ridiculous touchdown to uh, catch ratio. Uh, I think the best in college football right now. So he's, ma- he's making a lot of big plays. Like all the great athletes, runs as fast as he needs to. Jim Nagy <laughs> joins us every week, executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. Jim, thanks so much. We'll talk to you next week. All right, Chad. Thanks, man. Have a good week. Absolutely. Always informative, always fun with Jim. I wonder if Brendan does that crazy workout that Jerry would do, running the hills, the mountains, catching bricks with his bare hands. Maybe he's in on the same training regiment. Don't know. The NFL has flexed a game in uh, for week six. Tom Brady has made some money like he needed any more. We'll talk about where he made that money, though. All that coming up next. This is Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Fun times on today's show. Appreciate everyone watching, listening, however you do so. I'm Chad Withrow. Hutton will be back with us tomorrow. I'll get my partner in crime back in studio with us here. Sixth and Peabody Studios, downtown Nashville. Huge shout out to Old Smoky Moonshine, Yeehaw Beer, taking great care of us here. We love having a studio inside of a distillery and brewery. Not everyone can claim that. We can, and we're better off for it. We appreciate their relationship with us. And it's always fun coming here to do the show every day. Tom Brady's having a hell of a lot of fun right now. Guy's rich. Uh, He's insanely good looking. Yeah, I said it. We all know it. And apparently he's even richer now because Davey, he made $55 million off uh, a partnership with FTX, which turned out to be a huge scam. He did. Now, FTX, I mean, a multi-billion dollar crypto scam. Sam Bankman freed his trials currently going on right now. Um, personally, the man should never see the light of day again for everyone he was able to take advantage of. Is but it like yeah. a Bernie Madoff type situation? Yes. Is this one giant yeah, pyramid a, scheme? It's a, it's a good way to okay. look at it, yeah. It's a good modern example to take into account. Uh, but yeah, the, the big news that came out was on CBS's 60 Minutes last week, this past episode, they had Michael Lewis, who has a book coming out about Sam Bankman-Fried and everything that they were were doing, and the partnerships and how much money was actually exchanging hands here. And according to Michael Lewis, Tom Brady was offered $55 million uh, to do 20 hours a year for three years in, in regards to promotional work for FTX. 20 hours a year, and that's it. Wow. Incredible. I wonder how much scrutiny Tom Brady will face or anyone else that's made this money. Um, It's almost one of those where with people losing so much, you're almost better off just to turn it back over to charity uh, with whatever money you made from this to save face. So for another example, Steph Curry was paid $35 million for the same type of deal that Tom Brady signed on to. And if you remember, Larry David did a Super Bowl ad for FTX and Larry was paid $10 million to do that Super Bowl commercial. Crazy, crazy, crazy. As you can tell, Davey reads Financial Times of everyone in the studio right now. Certainly not me. 
Aaron Rodgers has put out the goal that he wants to play this season. He said it before. He told Melissa Stark the same thing before the game on Sunday night. And it's admirable. He was on Pat McAfee, I noticed, earlier today. And he said, I don't want to get into timelines, but everyone keeps saying it's impossible. He said, it's not impossible. It hasn't really been done, but he's got his mind on it happening this year. Davey, I'm still going to be shocked if he's playing at any time in 2023. And I also think the way this season is going, it's just not going to be worth it. Even if he got himself into position at the tail end of the season to try, it's not going to be worth the risk because they'll be out of the playoff race at that point. Exactly. The only reason this would make sense is if somehow the Jets and Zach Wilson find a way to make their way into the playoffs even then, early 2024, you don't know how healthy Rodgers is. And if you look at his age, I mean, come next year, he'll be 40 for that season. It is in the best interest of Aaron Rodgers to just take this entire year off, don't worry about trying to push to come back, and then just give it one last go next season. I do wonder if he's got one season or two seasons left after this. Because my assumption, like you just said, Davey, is that it'll he'll come back, play one year, then we'll see what happens with the Jets. Probably a playoff team, but go for broke in that one year and and give it his best shot. But if he could stay healthy, I mean, this is a, something you can fully recover from, given the surgery and the time to recover. If he comes back and is healthy next year and they have a good year but don't win the Super Bowl, could I see him coming back at, what, 42? I guess he'd be at that point the following season and playing one more? Maybe. What would you set the odds at of that happening? I, I'm saying 50%. He plays two more. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say 90%. He plays one more. Well, then he comes back and plays that one season. Maybe 50 that he plays two. The reason I'm factoring in one more is because the Jets would have to improve greatly at their offensive line. It's People act like, oh, he comes back, everything's fine. We get that opportunity. They have a bad offensive line right now. It's not like they're going to really have the capital and the resources to go out and really upgrade at that position. And now – the Jets will be holding on to that first-round pick that would have gone to the Green Bay Packers because Rodgers isn't going to hit the time requirements as far as the amount of play he was able to give the team. But trust what, a first-round pick? You'd have to get some veteran that comes in on a a vet-friendly deal to help that team out. I just don't know if that offense is going to be in a position to where at Rodgers at that age, even if he does get his mobility back to where it was beforehand, they're able to keep him upright for an entire season without something going on that's going to hinder his progress as a successful quarterback in the league. And it's almost impossible the way the league is structured with salary cap to make everything perfect and to smooth out all the rough edges of your roster and every position group, which makes me marvel even more, going back to Tom Brady, at what the Bucks accomplished that year when he, he went there and yeah. they just got everything perfectly right in year one, to go from irrelevant with Jameis Winston the year before to Super Bowl champion with Tom Brady. It wasn't just him. It was every roster move was done to perfection to make that a viable Super Bowl team. Maybe that's the Jets next year, but and clearly we'll have to wait till next year to see. Yeah, and a lot of people are kind of curious, like, is he going to stay around the team? He plans to permanently rejoin the team after week seven of this year. Um, you saw on the broadcast Sunday night, he was in attendance for that game. He was medically cleared to fly. Robert Sala was the only person as far as Jets personnel that knew he was coming in to surprise the team. But after uh, he gets through with this rehab process, he anticipates being back with the team full-time after week seven. Speaking of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who would have thought before the season that in week six 
with the NFL's ability to flex a game into primetime or a primetime window. And I'm talking about the late Sunday afternoon national game that we'd be seeing Lions in Tampa to take on the Bucks, being a team that is flexed into that window. That's a huge testimony to Baker Mayfield and his resurrection with Tampa Bay and what they're doing. The Lions part of it, not as shocking. They had some high expectations coming into the season. The big surprise here, Davey, is Tampa looking like a team that's going to yeah. win the NFC South. I, I mean, I talked about it yesterday, Chad. I got Tampa as one of my pretenders. But the option as to why this game was flexed is in part because of Aaron Rodgers' injury. The game they moved out of this time slot, Jets at Giants. So it's not one you're exactly making your way to the TV to sit in front of and watch for a full three hours. So I understand why they decided to pull the trigger, put the Bron- or the, the Bucks and the Lions in that slot. And I think it could be a good game. I mean, I, I prefer watching Jared Goff play at home. He does better in a dome environment, but I would much rather watch the Bucks right now take on the Lions and the Jets and the Giants. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. There are certain places that, to me, venue matters when I'm watching a game, and that's college or NFL. And I don't really get overly psyched about games in Tampa watching them. I don't get psyched about games in Charlotte if they move a mm-hmm. game there. Detroit right now, five years ago, I wouldn't have cared if a game was being played in Detroit to watch it. But now, a lot more exciting to watch games in that venue. There are historic places that it's always cool to see games at Lambeau or even not historic, but in Dallas. It's fun to watch games in that venue. Tampa's not one I'm getting excited about, but this matchup is exciting. It's so I, I'm with you. I prefer it being Detroit, but it's it's a fun fun two teams to see their progress this year. Yeah, for this is more of a general conversation at large, but with the way fantasy is going, I mean, it continues to get everyone's interest. The NFL just does better when there's more offense, and typically more offense is happening inside versus outside, especially once it starts to get a little bit colder out there. Do you anticipate – the NFL, I know there are a few stadiums they won't go with, but we just see everybody making that switch to the, the Dome Stadium. How long until you think every NFL team plays in a Dome? It's going to be a while because I don't see a place like Green Bay doing it. The, the reason that these municipalities are doing it in conjunction with the billionaire is to bring tons and tons of events in. A place like Green Bay is always going to be outdoors. They want to play in the elements, and Green Bay, Wisconsin, is never going to attract WrestleMania, mm-hmm. as an example, right? Or a Final Four to a market of that size. So I know Buffalo had toyed with the idea, but I think Buffalo is a place where they want to keep it outside. Well, they also. decided on that. I mean, the new stadium that they're currently building, it's, an it's outdoors, outdoor. right? Yep. Yeah. So I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where every stadium is, and I hope not. Because that's part of the charm of the sport. I mean, watching playoff games in January where it is freezing or it's snowing, that's a, that's a great part of the game. Talking about wanting to watch on television, how often do we tune into a game because we hear it snowing when we get into late November, December games in the NFL? We want to watch games in the element, in the snow. So I hope it never goes away. But this, this talks, money talks with everyone. If you can get more events in, you can lure a Super Bowl in, it's going to happen. We had guns in studio talking about here in Nashville with the new stadium being built that's going to be indoors that he could see Taylor Swift playing her first Super Bowl halftime in Nashville in the new stadium. So uh, that's the route a lot of places want to go. But if you're a market that's not going to bring in the huge event anyway, keep it outdoors. Keep it with the lure of you know having games in the element. Pittsburgh, 
another place I think about that's had the elements over the years at times. So I'm, I'm absolutely all for that. Davey, you have uncovered a story of the most yes. brutal loss ever. Please yes. explain. So in South Korea, every male adult has to serve in the military prior to the age of 28 for at least 18 months. Now, a way you can get around this is if you win a gold medal in the Olympics or a medal, a gold medal at the Asian Games. We have a situation where recently there was a skating relay happening, and I'm going to butcher the name, but that's par for the course. Um, but there was a three-man South Korean skating team. And, and all three would have been exempt from military service had they won. Correct. But South Korean skater Jung Chao Won had the Perfect. Asian game gold medal in his grasp on the final leg of this relay, but he decided to celebrate just a hair too early. And the Taiwan team, the final uh, leg skater for that team managed to beat him by 0.01 oh, no. seconds. And so with that being the case, South Korea ended up getting the silver medal in this one. And so all three members, I don't, I'm assuming all three meters or members have yet to serve their term in the South Korean military, but they lost out on that gold medal, which would have exempted them from having to do that mandatory service. If I had to guess, I always would have guessed that this worst loss ever would have taken place in North Korea and not South Korea. But interesting that it took place in South Korea. I wonder if Taiwan has a similar mandatory military participation yeah. rule. Well, South Korea has their rule because of North Korea. That's true. That's true. I doubt Taiwan does, but maybe they do. You'd almost think, could you like orchestrate a trade with the Taiwanese team and say, look, man, I'm being forced to go into the military. If you're in, if the South Korean team and say, can we just make a deal here that we want it or you hand me the medal? That way we can go about this in a, in a civil way. That is brutal, though. I, but what's the lesson? Yeah. Don't celebrate until you win. You know, Mark Heritui, uh had on yesterday pointed this out this story out but the one quick thing on this was the guy who was the final leg of the race he's 27 it's actually till the age of 30 they have not 28 but based off when the next asian games are he would be over that cutoff age there is one member of the team that's still young enough to have a shot at getting military exemption service okay well we'll follow that story but this is, could be the classic example. Parents out there teaching their kids don't celebrate until it's over. This is the example that you could always raise. Hey, fun show today. Dave, we got a big show tomorrow also, right? Clay Travis is going to be on the show with us. Ryan Spader, who covers Major League Baseball, will join us. He's been all over social media today calling out journalists with a big J, capital J, that called out Trevor Bauer saying that he was guilty before we learned much about the claims against him. They've gone silent now. Ryan Spader has a few things to say about those journalists that did that. We'll talk with him tomorrow. Plenty to get into as we get closer and closer to the new weekend. What is the new weekend, you ask? Well, I declared it two weeks ago. It's Thursday. Football is here. We have Thursday night NFL football. We have a crappy college football game on Thursday night. Based on a lack of officials in high school, there's probably a ton of high school football games on Thursday night also. Regardless, the point is the weekend starts earlier it starts tomorrow no it doesn't tomorrow's Wednesday it starts in two days it feels like Thursday the last two days have felt like three days tomorrow's Wednesday in two days the weekend will start that makes Wednesday the new Thursday and it's going to be a hell of a show 
Thanks to everyone out there watching and listening. However you watch and listen, we're back at it tomorrow. Jonathan Hutton returns. This is Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow across the Outkick Network. Puka Nakua.